0: Welcome to Straight White American Jesus. My name is Brad Onishi. I'm back with the at the University of San Francisco, our is hosted in partnership with the CAP Center at the University of California, Santa Barbara. And today we're continuing our series, J6, One Year Later, discussing January 6th, uh, the insurrection, and just a view from a year out and what it looks like. And uh, today I have another great guest, somebody whose work I I really appreciated as it comes to the religious dimensions of January 6th, and that is uh, Dr. Dana Lloyd. So I'll just say, Dr. Lloyd, thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here, Brad.
0: So Dana is Dr. Lloyd, is an assistant professor of global interdisciplinary studies at Villanova, holds a PhD from Syracuse, has degrees from Tel Aviv University Law School, and uh, is also about to publish a, a book called Arguing for This Land, Rethinking Indigenous Sacred Sites. And so today we're here to talk about the, the article that uh, Professor Lloyd just published at the Uncivil Religion exhibit, which uh, was done in partnership between the University of Alabama and the Smithsonian Institute. And the article is, Q, is It is titled, QAnon Shaman and Native American Religious Freedom. And I wanted to just, it's a really, really insightful piece and really one that I, I hope everyone goes and checks out. But I want to start by asking you this. The QAnon shaman claims that he's practicing shamanism. He says that he sings and dances and drums and he does certain things as a shaman. However, the way you put it, and, I, and folks, I, I haven't slowed down here to tell you about the QAnon shaman, because I'm, I'm assuming y'all can imagine the, the man who, Jacob Angeli, who's in the, the paint and and wearing the, the hat and carrying an American flag on a spear. I've talked about the QAnon shaman with Susanna Crockford and with Amanda Moore and with Bill Gorski. So we've talked about the QAnon shaman on the show. But in your words, Data, he is doing something that has been done for a long time in American history, and that is playing Indian. And that includes cultural appropriation of Native American practices and symbols. And it's incredibly hurtful and damaging. So what is playing Indian? And why is it such a a violent thing to do by someone like the QAnon shaman, Jacob Angeli?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So playing Indian is a term taken from... uh... Religious studies scholar, Phil Deloria, who's Lakota, who has a book called Playing Indian, where he looked at instances where white people in the U.S. have pretended to to be Native American. From the Boston Tea Party to contemporary things such as non-Indigenous academics pretending to be Indian, urban outfitters selling T-shirts with a Navajo quote-unquote inspired print, to Sephora selling starter's witch kits to, I guess, white hippies learning how to do a sweat lodge and smudging and things like that, right? We see it everywhere. We see it with sports teams and mascots and things like that. We've all encountered that. And the argument that Native American studies scholars make about why this is so bad is that this is a way for white americans to attach themselves to the land and claim a right to this land
0: it seems that it one of the reasons so there's two things you talk about in the piece that seem specifically damaging about it one is that it's a form of cultural appropriation the other is that it follows on what patrick wolf calls a logic of elimination so could you help us understand both of those How is what Jacob Angeli is doing a form of cultural appropriation? I think people hear that word or that phrase a lot these days. They don't know exactly what it is or what it means. So how is that going on here? And then what is this logic of elimination at play when someone is, quote unquote, playing Indian?
1: Right. Yeah. So that's a great question. And I think that the two things are actually tightly related, right? They're not really two different things. Cultural appropriation is one way in which this what Patrick Wolf, Australian historian, calls logic of elimination, sorry, it's so cultural appropriation is one one way in which this logic plays out, right? So cultural appropriation again is what we call cultural appropriation is when people like again fashion designers or just the men on the street, right? uses Native American culture or any other culture, right? As if it's their own without giving credit, without paying so in the indigenous context and we can stay with the fashion design example and say i could buy a 59 dollars t-shirt from urban outfitters that looks like it's that reminds you when you see me wearing it right of Navajo people or generic Indian culture or something like that. I could, on the other hand, go to indigenous artists and fashion designers and buy art and fashion from them. So the money goes back to the community from which this fashion originates. The representation we can imagine would be more respectful and more accurate. I guess a question that I always ask ask my students, and I don't have a good answer for it. If you see me walking in the street wearing indigenous style clothes. You don't know where I bought it, right? Like maybe I paid 300 dollars to a Cherokee artist who did something very respectful and accurate. I don't know if to you it would look different from any anything I would any kind of ripoff right so so I can tell you if it's only the theft that's the bad thing that's happening or also just the general cultural phenomenon of white people trying to associate themselves with native cultures right so these are maybe two. Levels of problematic aspects of cultural appropriation, right? But the idea of attaching yourself as a non-Indigenous person to Indigenous culture, that goes back to Patrick Wolf and the logic of elimination, is that what it tells you is that Native people are disposable. Their cultures are disposable. Their lands are disposable. I am here to appropriate, to steal, and to dispossess, right? And I don't need them to stay around because I can replace them. The elimination is has different aspects to it. There is the genocide, right, and the killing. There is the removal and things like the trail of tears. But there is also the things that seem perhaps benign, or much less harmful. But because, like cultural appropriation, right? But because they take part in this big picture, uh, structural, systemic oppression. And dispossession of Native peoples, we can't ignore them and we can't think of them as just playful, benign. And perhaps for people like Anjali may say, I actually admire the culture and I want to associate with myself with it, right? So they, they may tell you that it's positive what you're doing. But if we see the big picture, we, we can't ignore the harm that it does. Thanks
0: for listening to this free preview of our Swag episode. In order to get access to the full episode and so much more,